0: Everybody just everybody just
1: Welcome to what she said on 1059 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. I am thrilled to be kicking off this week's show with a new partner. RBC has been a champion for female-owned businesses across Canada for years now. And during this pandemic, they have been working hard to amplify female voices in business. Starting this week and throughout 2021, I'll be sharing a new series of interviews with you called She's the Boss, where you'll meet the cream of the crop of female-led businesses thanks to RBC. We'll also be profiling each of these incredible entrepreneurs over on whatshesaidtalk.com so you can get to know them better. And finally, we have a series of longer podcast plans that will dive into some of the financial hurdles entrepreneurs are facing right now and how they are getting through. Coming up on today's show are more incredible women you need to know better, starting with Ritu Pessin, an award-winning speaker, author, and expert in diversity and inclusion, who joins me to share what critical race theory is and what it is not. Our first profile for RBC's She's the Boss is Natasha Patton from My Coat is Blue. Natasha joins me to share why Shopping Canadian benefits us all and why we should all be supporting Black-owned businesses. Plus a fashion tip or two thrown in to keep us on trend. And Brody's emotions were put to the test this week with intense entertainment coming our way with everything from Prince Harry's new documentary series The Me You Can't See on Apple Plus TV, New Order, an explosive portrait of social unrest you'll not soon forget, and HBO Max's timely and fact-based film Oslo about the secret back-channel meetings that took place between two Israelis and two Palestinians in 1993. Sleep has been an elusive companion for many during this pandemic, with the term Corona-somnia recently being coined, so I've invited Elena McGinn from Good Sleep site to join me this week to give us her best tips for getting the shut-eye we all so desperately need. We're not only tired from lack of sleep, but we're also suffering from COVID fatigue. So Dr. Andrea DiNardo is here to give us the 411 on emotional CPR, which stands for catch, pause, and release. You'll definitely want to know how to master this technique. Finally, with so many women currently looking for work, BBG Hailey from the Vobovar group wants women to know two things. First, do not underestimate the power of LinkedIn And second, get loud about your awesomeness because no one else is going to do that for you. It's another full week at what she said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 1059 The Region. We are always learning here at What She Said. So when I started to see critical race theory show up in news stories and in social media more and more, I knew it was time to get the facts. Ritu Bassin is president of Basin Consulting, Inc., and is an award-winning speaker, author, and expert in diversity and inclusion. Ritu is known for her expertise in cultural competence, unconscious bias, and neuroscience strategies, and has coached hundreds of professionals, leaders, and executives to be more inclusive. Her Amazon best-selling book, "The Authenticity Principle: Resist Conformity, Embrace Differences, and Transform How You Live, Work, and Lead," was released in fall 2017. She joins me today for a 101 on critical race theory. Welcome to the show, Ritu.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Candice.
1: So this is something I feel is going to be misconstrued. Uh, if, if people don't understand what it is, it's like feminism or black lives matter or defund the police, people latch onto an idea and, and they don't have all the
2: facts. So let's talk about what, what is critical race theory. Sure. So, and and by the way, let me just start by saying, uh, I'm 45 years old now, and I studied critical race theory back when I was like 18 years old for the first time. And if you had told me one day, Ritu, you will be on podcasts and new shows and more talking about critical race theory," theory, I would have said knock me over with a feather, but here we are. Amazing how life is. So, essentially, in a nutshell, critical race theory evolved out of legal academia back in the 70s and 80s. And it's basically rooted in the idea that race is a social construct. And so it's been invented, it's been created as a way to support the ideology of white supremacy. I'm going to come back to that because I know that's a lot already support the ideology of white supremacy and ultimately designed to subordinate or oppress people of color and people who are indigenous. And so so when I say white supremacy, I think a lot of people instantly will become activated because for, and I know this from doing my work, like I've presented to tens of thousands of people. And when I say like, what's the first image that comes to your mind when I say white supremacy, for a lot of people, it's the KKK and white hoods. And, And that is right, however, White supremacy is defined in a far broader way. White supremacy is the ideology that white people are better, more deserving, more worthy, insert whatever positive adjective you wish, over people of color and people who are indigenous. And so basically critical race theory looks at how it is that this ideology that white people are better permeates and manifests across every major system we have in society, from the legal system, the justice system, to education, to employment, to healthcare, to housing, and more. And, and as someone who used to be a lawyer, so I went to law school, I studied critical race theory both, theory, both in my undergraduate studies and in my legal studies, I can tell you that when you start to really dig deep and explore how this theory and how it is that white supremacy shows up, it's present across every system, not just the law. I feel like, you know, just as you're speaking, I'm
1: thinking back to history lessons in school and how we would only ever receive sort of that one-sided view of how something happened. We know now, obviously, that that's not the way things shook out. uh, But you're only getting who's writing the history books, right? And so that would be the white society that wrote that and put that forth in the schools.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So what you're describing here is how through a critical race theory lens would be how in education and academia, white supremacy permeates the way in which we disseminate information or provide information. We educate people, children, adults. So, for example, if you think back to how back in the 80s and 90s, I certainly would have received education around the well back then we would have said Indian native native Canadians or Indians or indigenous peoples we it would have been that explorers discovered uh, Canada even that through a critical race theory would be like that is a white supremacy lens. That's the notion that people weren't here to begin with. And so critical race theory is all about being critical and how it is that we take a look at systems and structures in society, also within ourselves as individuals to see where have I come to believe that white people are better than people of color, people who are indigenous? Where have I come to believe that it's okay to allow these systems to continue where people of color and people who are indigenous are adversely impacted. So I'm going
1: to tell you why I I reached out to you was I saw this video floating around on social media. You may have seen it yourself. If it's it's of a white woman standing up at some education rally saying, just because I don't want my children to be taught critical race theory does not make me a racist. And my immediate thought was, yes, it does. So like it does. That was my immediate thought. But yeah. what's, what seems to be happening is that critical race theory is being the right, uh, those to the right of politics are latching onto it as a political movement.
3: Right. So
2: what would you say to people who, who think that? You know, I think it's hard because sometimes we anchor to language like white supremacy, critical race theory, feminism, and we're mad at the language, we're mad at the terminology. And because we're like women's rights, we're mad at this language because of all of the messages that are a meaning that our brains attach to these words and we shut down the dialogue or the learning or the concepts. But if we were to take a step back let's like just move away from what the titles are and the language are and talk about the principles here, like what is critical race theory really about? Critical race theory is about creating a world where people of color and indigenous peoples are treated in a way that is in alignment with how white people are treated. That we, and I say we, because I identify as a woman of color, that we have the same access to opportunities, to rights, to freedom. So for example, we can go for a run without the fear out in public, without the fear of being murdered or drive around wherever we want, without the fear of being pulled over or go to a Starbucks and, wait for a friend without being worried that we're gonna be arrested or take a flight at the, go to to the airport to take a flight and not be worried we're gonna be uh, hassled by security. And so critical race theory is all about creating a world of equity and equality and fairness and justice for everyone regardless of racial and ethnocultural identity. And like who who doesn't want to support that? So I would say uh, move away from the language and anchor to the principle or the concept and if you believe that people of color and people who are indigenous deserve the same rights freedoms opportunities access then what you're essentially doing is saying you believe in critical race theory you believe in these in racial equity inclusion so I think it's really important that we get to the spirit of what it is that is trying to be conveyed and being taught here in this moment
1: I, I, I agree 100%. So I want to talk then a little bit about this in, ed, in education. This obviously isn't just something that's taught in history class. So how does
2: critical race theory work into the education system as a whole? If we apply that same lens. So let's, let's, let's move away from the language critical race theory and let's just move to the spirit of. We want to ensure that people of colour and people who are Indigenous have the same access to educational opportunities and get the same quality of education. What this would mean is... Everything from how are teachers being recruited? So who are the teachers? Are they, is it always white people? Or are there teachers of color and teachers who are Indigenous? What's the curriculum that's being taught? Is it always funneled through a white people are better lens, and Indigenous people and people of color, their stories are erased or are vilified, demonized? Or are we providing a full, well-rounded picture? Who is leading educational institutions in deciding policy and curriculum? Is it just white people or are other voices at the table? So that's from an educational, like the actual structure perspective, even how even how we're teaching. So for example, in the classroom, as you may know, some of the teaching practices very much favored children who are more extroverted than introverted. But this also goes back to cultural practices. A lot of us come from communities of color indigenous communities where We are not taught to speak openly in class. We're we're, we're taught to be more deferential to teachers, elders, and more. So altering the way in which we're teaching so that everyone is learning in a way that, or adopting different ways of learning so that education is resonating. In addition to how children, adults are, are treated in their educational experiences, all of this too needs to be run through the funnel or the lens of how can I make sure that people of color and indigenous peoples are having a really high quality educational experience? Am I making sure as a teacher that I'm calling on people of color and people who are indigenous? How am I evaluating their work? How am I pouring my coaching and advocacy and support into students of color and students who are indigenous? So all of this, every aspect of education needs to be run through that lens of, wanting to ensure that people of color and people who are indigenous receive the equal high quality experience that white students are receiving.
1: Something every child deserves. Uh, Thank you for joining me today. This, we obviously did not have enough time to get into this as deeply as we could have, but I really appreciate you bringing the facts on this and what it is and what it is not. Uh, If people want to know more about you or find out more about critical race theory, where can they go?
2: So you can check me out at rithubasine.com. That's my first last name.com. Or I'm most active, love Instagram, rithubasin on Instagram and Twitter as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you.
3: Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region.
0: Too afraid to dream out
4: loud And know it's simple, your idea It won't make sense to everybody
1: Joining me now for RBC's She's the Boss is Natasha Patton, creative director of My Coat is Blue, which offers luxury items designed and manufactured in Canada. My Coat is Blue creates the perfect balance between classic and modern, creating timeless pieces which move from day to evening, all while keeping us toasty warm. A recent recipient of the Black Designers of Canada Award of Excellence, Natasha personally designs every piece in the My Coat is Blue collection and joins me today to discuss keeping your fashion Canadian, supporting Black-owned businesses, and the importance of quality over quantity. Welcome to the show, Natasha. Thank you for having me, Candice. I have to tell you, I am obsessed with your coats. Uh, I was on your website um, scrolling through saying, I want that one and that one and that one. But you're really not about the fast fashion. You're about timeless pieces that you will have for many years, correct?
0: Yes, correct. You can get fast fashion anywhere and pay maybe $100 for a coat. And then next year, you might want another one. This is really about the woman who knows what she likes. And it's going to, I don't like to use the word invest because they don't increase in value, but you know, you put your money where you want it to be and know that you're going to have a piece that looks good on your body um, over the course of time. So that's really what I designed for.
1: So you have, you stress the importance of buying Canadian made products. And, and I think we can all agree um, over the last year, we've seen the value in that. So why do you stress the importance of it so much?
0: Well, <laughs> I always start by saying, it's not that I'm against us, you know, enriching lives overseas, but the reality is we aren't doing that. If large manufacturers went overseas and were actually enriching the lives of the locals and, you know, a large company comes and yes, you're providing jobs, but what's the cost of those jobs? And so I think we're not really seeing the big picture. And so if we were going to make life better for others around the world, I'd be all for it. But we aren't. And at the end of the day, a lot of our manufacturing has gone overseas and those jobs here in Canada are lost. And the, the art of certain parts of this industry have really been lost to jobs overseas. And that's pretty sad. Like, it's really hard for me to find certain manufacturers because they're gone.
1: And when you start to let your brain go to the next thing, you know, sort of that Mm -hmm. full circle picture, it's even the environment when you look at the cost of shipping something overseas, having it shipped back and keeping it local is, is good sort of for everybody. So, so what inspired you to go into coats though?
0: You're a fashion
1: designer. Why coats? Mm -hmm.
0: So when I was, my journey started in grade seven. So when I was in grade seven, I took home ec back in those days and I was really good at it. And I decided to, I loved fashion and I wanted to keep going. How the coats came about is I have really long arms. So anytime I put on a coat, it'd be too short. I'd have to wear bracelets and watches. And I decided one year, I'm like, I'm gonna make a spring coat for myself. I'm tired of this. So I made this coat and I loved it. And I got compliments everywhere. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of a niche. Like, I feel like the coat space hasn't really expanded that much. Um, a lot of it looks the same. There's some beautiful designs out there, but it hasn't expanded like other um, industries in this in this space have. So it, it was because my arms were long. That's the long and short of and it's, it.
1: <laughs> it's funny you say that. You know, it hasn't expanded, but every I mean, we're Canadian.
0: And yeah, every outfit gets topped with a coat. Exactly, and not just for you know December, January, February. Like we're wearing coats from October till May and beyond. Like we're always in a coat and then you put on this great outfit and then you put on like this rusty old coat and can't wait to take it off. And my whole thing is I want you to want to wear the coat everywhere. Like you're dying inside and so hot, but you don't want to take the coat off. That's the kind of feeling um, my clients have when they put on a piece. And that's, that's what I, I aim for.
1: So, I mean, we're going to share a video of this, but for the audio, it may not be obvious to people. You are a Black woman and you also want to talk about, you know, supporting Black-owned businesses and yeah. why people should do that. And I really, really love your thoughts on this. So if you could please
0: share with us. Well, supporting Black-owned businesses is important for several reasons. Um, a lot of Black-owned brands maybe not have, will not have the opportunity to reach a certain clientele because we just don't have that connect. And there's lots of reasons for that, that we all know about. Um, but when, a, when somebody supports a Black owned business, it really helps them get their arm expanding a little longer. And that's so important. And at the end of the day, all of us Black creators will say, we don't want you to support us because we're Black, but we're good at what we're doing. So at the end of the day, if we're good at it, then why not? And there is absolutely
1: no dispute that you are good at what you do. I encourage everybody to go and check out your website. So if people want to connect with you and find you online, where can they do that?
0: So all my socials are mycoatisblue.com. So my my website is mycoatisblue.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is all mycoatisblue.
1: Amazing. So thank you so much for joining me today. I encourage everyone to pop over to whatshesaidtalk.com right now to catch some words of wisdom and advice from Natasha that she has for other female entrepreneurs. Special thanks to Natasha Patton from My Code is Blue for joining me today. And thank you to our sponsor, RBC. RBC is here to support you through digital-first solutions, advice, and services that go beyond banking to help realize your true potential. Because owning a small business takes something special. That's why RBC is behind you every step of the way. Visit rbc.com backslash business for more. No! Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody, and this week we're going to feel
5: all the feels, I think. (laughs) Starting with tears. The uh, uh, Oprah and Prince Harry special is out now on Apple TV um, called The Me That You Can't See. And I got to tell you, they didn't show it to us, but I have seen the trailer and you have... It is powerful. It's, uh, there's a lot of tears It's Lady Gaga. All kinds of celebrities speak quite openly about their own struggles. Um, you know, he kind of overspoke in the Oprah interview. And I think this is a way of saying, well, hey, I'm entitled. The world's entitled to get help, to say they need help. That's my read of it. I think
1: I think people watching that will it will resonate with people watching because we're all feeling it. And I loved how they sort of um, said, you know, look, it doesn't matter who you are or what background you come from. You have felt this last year deeply. Uh, I really I really loved it. It looks great. What else do you have for us?
6: New Order.
5: Holy cow. That what a shocking film from Mexico. We're at this incredibly lavish party. It's a wedding and um, a wealthy family, beautiful home. And you sort of notice the servants in the background. They're making faces at the people behind their backs and they're stealing food and stuff. And uh, yeah, so the wedding goes on and the bride and groom are separated. One goes one way, one the other way. And that's when a team of men in black masked and with rifles hop over their fence and invade and just start shooting. It's a revolution it's in the streets it's it was foolish of them to have the wedding because they knew something was in the air but they went ahead and did it um, and you know it's no spoiler to say that lives are lost on a major scale but we follow some of the characters as they go out into the city and see what they come across and it's it's revolution it is solid revolution so you, these people have a have a, a will. That's so strong, these revolutionaries, these poor underclass, um, you you kind of feel for both of them, but the horror is just unimaginable. And of course, as we know, this is not unprecedented in the real world, especially now. Well,
1: again, all I could think about watching this was the uh, the TEDx talk I watched once by a guy named Nick Hanauer uh, called uh, The Pitchforks Are Coming. And it was about this yeah, sort of thing, about people going after that 1%. Uh, so it did, it was, uh, it hit home. It was uh, very, it looked really well done. Um, what else yeah, have we got? That,
5: well, we've got um, uh, Writers of Justice starring Mads Mikkelsen. I know you husband. love them. You love I do. Him. <laughs> he's so wonderful. But he's kind of covered in a beard here. He's um, a, a Danish soldier stationed in Afghanistan and uh, his family's back home, his wife and daughter. They're going out on an errand. They get on a subway and um, there's a man sitting across from them who's watching them. And suddenly the train explodes and the mother's killed. So... The man, uh, the man shows up at uh, Mads' home. He's he comes home to be with his daughter and says he's a statistician, and that he has proof, statistical proof, that they it was a murder, that it was a, a terrorist act, that it wasn't an accident that, that had, as it had been explained. So uh, Mads and uh, three technicians, and they're really quirky people it's called a comedy for some reason I don't know why but they uh, get together to try to solve what happened and I'm telling you it is gripping and dramatic and really good man's doesn't do anything bad if you ask me well Um, I think I think you're biased because he's your I might be biased yes (laughs) (laughs) but writers of justice it's really something to see and it's on tvod okay there's two more I want to talk about
1: quickly um I want to talk about trying because that looks hilarious oh and awesome.
5: So, so, tell me about those two. It's about a couple, Rafe Spall and Esther Smith, and they've been trying to season two. They've been trying to get pregnant since season one, and they have so many disappointments and failures, and and adoptions aren't working out. But honest to God, their spirit and their love and their connection—you haven't seen a connection like that in a sitcom. I don't think ever. Um, and so th- there's always hope. There's always optimism. They're smiling, but they've got wicked sarcasm. And, uh, you know, they have to listen to their friends saying, oh, isn't that too bad? And look, we adopted a kid. Wow. It- it's wonderful. It's a wonderful series. So be sure to see that. Okay. We've got under a minute left. you want to talk about Oslo? Oslo's terrific. And talk about timing. This is about a secret back channel meeting between four. Uh, two Palestinians and two Israelis, all officers and lawyers, who are, ta- who, who are invited to go to Norway for a secret meeting to see if they can come up with a peace accord, which resulted in the Oslo Peace Accord. Uh, but you, you see them trying to, to, to connect. And, and finally, the, the maid, who everybody loves, she serves some whiskey and waffles, and the people relax a little bit as these, this couple who organized it look on they don't participate they just take draft notes but you see this uh fight that has gone back since the birth of christ uh play out in the modern day and something that really actually happened so um that is definitely something to see and it's on hbo and hbo max
1: all right okay and so for all of these and more people can go to what she said talk.com to get this week's full list and uh, we'll see you again next week ann See you next week.
3: Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region.
1: has been a much-needed but elusive companion during this pandemic. Ongoing stress and a never-ending news cycle where each headline outdoes the last is causing corona to sweep across the nation. What suffers when we don't sleep? Absolutely everything does. That's why I've invited my next guest to join me today. Alana McGinn is founder and sleep expert of Goodnight Sleep Site, a global sleep consulting practice. She established the worldwide brand of Good Night Sleep site as being a number one sleep resource for families, babies to adults, and for major corporations. Welcome back to the show, Alana. Thanks for having me, Candace. So sleep, let's get into it. I don't feel like there's any new science perhaps on sleep, but maybe we just all need a refresher on how to get the best sleep, especially now.
7: Yeah. I mean, our sleep has definitely taken a hit um, this past year and a bit for sure. I feel like even just in the past, you know, month or two in Ontario, we're on our third lockdown and people are struggling. I mean, for, for different reasons, which I'm sure we'll discuss today, but sleep is, is is on the low right now.
1: Let's talk about routine then, because I, I mean, I'm always on my kids about this. You need structure, you need routine. How important is it? It is really important. And you know, it's funny that you say that because often we are on our
7: kids so much about their routine and protecting their routine as we should be, because it is so important, but we seem to neglect our own routine as parents, as adults, whether you're a parent or not Um, having that consistent routine. So sleep hygiene, let's go back a bit. Sleep hygiene are steps and practices that an individual takes in order to achieve proper sleep health. So optimal sleep. Practicing consistent sleep patterns is one of the steps of sleep hygiene. So this is going to bed you know, consistently, uh, waking up at a consistent time, having a consistent bedtime, and it's not 100%. So nor- normally at Good Night Sleep Site, we talk a lot about the 80-20 rule. So 80% of the time, it is important to protect our, our routine in terms of what time we're going to bed, when we're waking up in the morning. Listen, 20% of the time, life happens, bedtime's late one night, you wanna sleep in a bit, it's fine. Um, but you know, in doing so and being as consistent as we are with our routine, uh, and our sleep patterns, it actually helps us fall asleep a lot easier and really wakes up, helps us wake up a lot easier in the morning as well. Routines have gone out the door because of COVID because we're home so much. Um, but I feel like they're back on track for the most part for most people than when, you know, the pandemic first happened.
1: Let's talk about boundaries within the home then, because right now we are schooling in the home working in the home, living in the home, everything. And, and trying to, I mean, we've in the past, it's always been your bedroom is for sleeping and sex, correct? Uh, correct. But now it might be your office. So how do we create that, that serene space we need?
7: Yeah, I mean, our, you know, our goal is really to walk into our bedrooms and have that instant association between sleep and your bedroom or sleep and your bed. But what's happening now for I mean for obvious reasons is you know we're we're all home a lot more so you know our bedrooms are becoming like you said our home office our kids classrooms our entertainment places, our home gyms, we're spending a lot more time in our rooms not sleeping than perhaps sleeping. Um, So we're weakening that association between sleep and our bed, which doesn't help our sleep. So my advice to that is really protect your sleep space as much as you can for exactly what you said, sleep and sex only. Now, I also understand you might not have a choice because we are home more, your bedroom might have to be your home office and that's fine if it's that during the day. But when your work, uh, work time is done and your day is done, make sure to clear away that clutter. So, clear away those work files, turn off your computer, remove your computer if you can from your bedroom, if you have a laptop, so that you're not staring at that when you're walking, you know, when you're entering your bedroom to go to sleep. But also create that conducive environment and and really customize it for your own personal sleep needs. So whether you share a bedroom or not, if you have someone sleeping beside you or not, customize your side of the bed to you. So that could be what's on your night table, right? Um, Aromatherapy, um, a, a journal before you go to bed, a book that you might want to incorporate during your bedtime routine. But then also, what are you sleeping in? What pillow works best for you? What bedding works best for you? Are you a hot or cold sleeper? Do you need thicker fabrics. Do you need more light and breathable fabric? So make sure you're creating that sleep space for your personal individual sleep needs.
1: I think it would, we wouldn't be getting to all of it if we didn't address technology, because I feel (laughs) as if there's a little bit, you know, we always say, you know, shut the screens down, don't have this in your room, but there are technologies now that help people sleep. So what is your view on all of this? Absolutely, there's
7: there's a lot of tech that can help. So my views on tech, um... Are if you are really struggling with sleep, so what we call chronic insomnia, where you've been struggling with sleep long term, the best thing you can do is remove tech completely from your bedroom for a few reasons. One, we want to stay away from those bright uh, bright screens. We want to keep the sleep switch on in our brain, and that bright screen could perhaps turn it off. And two, what are we allowing in our mind, in our thoughts before we're going to bed? So, what boundaries are are we setting around tech? Now. That being said, I also understand the be- the joys of those evening hours where maybe you want to allow some tech in. Like you said, some tech can help. There's great meditation apps and mindful breathing apps and um, great apps that can ha- kind of help us quiet our minds, calm our bodies down. Um, but maybe it, it might be that you just want to watch like a show that makes you feel light and airy and take some of those that stress and anxiety away. That's okay to do. This isn't me telling you to binge a show till two o'clock in the morning. But if you want to watch something that lowers your stress levels and not heightens them, maybe stay away from the news, stay away from some of the, the news headlines, stay away from social media accounts that maybe don't make you feel very good set boundaries on what tech you're allowing in in those evening hours.
1: I, I couldn't agree with you more because one of the things that I do, and I, I am positive that almost every phone must have this now, are timers and limits you can set on apps. Um, TikTok is my latest addiction. And so I've had to put a timer on it. And when it hits that, um, I'm done for the day. It's been It's been a great tool. So I recommend people do that as well.
7: Yeah, I mean, listen, whatever works for you. It's changing habits. At the end of the day, the sleep plan that you create is is a lot of it is just habits that you are changing. And that takes time. And what I always like to tell people too, is when you're creating your sleep plan, you have to look at it in the same way as your workout plan and as your, your your nutritional plan because when we set a workout plan, we have to commit to it and we have to be patient. We can't just go to the gym once and expect to see results unfortunately, right? Or you know, eat a good healthy meal and expect to see results. It takes time. So we can't just remove tech one night or, you know, practice better sleep hygiene one night and expect to see those results if you're really struggling with sleep. You have to be patient commit to the plan and take time with it.
1: I think, you know, our society often puts up on a pedestal, people who are not getting enough sleep as some sort of warrior. And it's like a, it's a badge of honor to wear. Mm-hmm. I, I hope that we're going to get rid of that mindset because it's so important that we get the proper sleep. Yeah. I mean,
7: and I love that you said that. Cause I say that a lot. We have to stop wearing sleep deprivation as that badge of honor. And, you know, we have to look, when we look at the three pillars of health, we have sleep, Nutrition and exercise. And we tend to put more stock and more value into, as we should, into exercise and nutrition because we know when we're not working out, right? We know when we're not eating well. We know we need to put more time and effort into those two pillars, but we all sleep. So maybe we don't realize we're not getting enough. We're not getting enough of a good quality of sleep. So, but when you look at the three pillars, sleep is kind of the foundation of the two because when we're not sleeping well, we don't have the energy to work out. Um, we, don't, we don't digest food as well. We don't metabolize food as well. We tend to crave more carbs and more sugars. Um, so sleep is really the foundation of the other two pillars. So we have to put as much
1: value in that pillar as we do the other two. What is your experience with sleeping right now?
7: So it's funny when you sent the email for this interview, you're like, you know, people I hear are struggling and not sleeping well and waking up in the middle of the night. I'm like, check, check, check. That's me. I mean, even as a sleep expert, Uh, and and knowing what I know you know I'm human and we all struggle with sleep sometimes so you know I had mentioned chronic insomnia individuals can also suffer from acute insomnia and that's just where for a short period you're just not sleeping as well and it could be for different reasons maybe you're going through a more stressful time in your life more anxiousness more worry and maybe you're not feeling well um I'd like I'd like to say my sleep is back on track since since that uh, email went out but um, sometimes I gotta work at it too, you know.
1: I think I think that's important for people to hear. Oh, for uh, sure. Because even the expert struggles with it. So, it, you know, give yourself a break and just try to get back on track, right?
7: Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, if you're really struggling and it's going into week three, week four, that's when you kind of need to take a little bit of a step back. And that's exactly what I had to do: is take a little bit of a step back and say, okay, exactly like I would again, put a, together that workout plan, that nutritional plan. What plan do I need to put in place? Where have I maybe slid on some things, on some habits? And I need to get back on track with that. It happens to the best of us.
1: Great. I love it. Alana, thank you so much. I always love your advice. It's very practical and non judgmental, which I also think is super important. I want people to be able to find you. Where can they do that?
7: Yes, thank you. They can find me at goodnightsleepsite.com. Uh, you can also find me at Instagram at GN Sleep Site, on Facebook, uh, Good Night Sleep Site. And I also have a podcast called This Girl Loves Sleep and it's available everywhere where you can download podcasts.
1: Incredible. Thank you so much, Alana. Thanks
7: for having me.
0: 25 years now, my life is still Time to get up that creepy healer of hope for destination. Just
1: COVID fatigue is real. And even if you can see your privilege compared to others around the world, it doesn't mean you're not tired of the upset to your life. Dr. Andrea Gennardo applies positive psychology to facilitate personal growth and transformational change. She joins me today to discuss emotional CPR, something we all need. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Thanks for having me. So let's break it down. What is emotional CPR?
6: We know about health CPR, and in the last 14 months, Candice, we have needed a new level a new level of habits that are sustainable every single day. So the reason I came up with emotional CPR is because I want something, Candice, that you can do with your children, you can do with Dolly, you can do at the at Starbucks, that is simple, repeatable, and sustainable. So give me something that has triggered you in the last. Oh,
1: weeks. oh! I, I can tell you right now, it was it was something a news article I read out of about India about bodies floating down the Ganges River. And when I read it initially, it just kind of went over my head. And about four or five hours later, that visual popped into my head, and I was so uh, sad. Okay. First of all, you bring up
6: many things. First of all, the fact that you're human. Secondly, that all of us are overwhelmed by what's happening in the world, including what's happening in India which is all is one and if we mean that all is one and most likely you didn't impact on you when you first read it because it was it was literally that traumatic to look at so all of us are being triggered daily for example from the news and it's real and so what happens is that all of us have different trauma responses and so for yours, because I have a feeling you had 20 things to do until you actually paused. And when you paused CPR, you went from the catch is when we're triggered. And for most people, and this is this is why your response is a little different than other times that you've been triggered, is that your response was delayed. And that's when we start talking about like post-traumatic stress disorder. And so the, the catch is when you find yourself in that moment of trigger, that you see that it's beyond what the moment is but yours was a really legitimate so we're going to take cpr catching yourself and you're moving into a place of grief where that you're going to pause and this is really where it's about how you talk to yourself Candice and this is where you brought up in the introduction that who are you to feel grief or really to feel bad about COVID when people are suffering in the way that they are in India. So it's it's a double impact that it has had on you, but you cannot control how your body responds to something. So this is what's happening in that moment. It's an amygdala hijack. It's the alarm part of the general adaptation syndrome, and you can't compartmentalize it because you have no place for it to go. Before COVID, you would go on vacation and you would basically, all of this would be left. So you're going from the catch triggered You're into the pause. And this is where I did a poll on Instagram and asked everybody how they're dealing with COVID fatigue. And one of the answers was what you did today is you go for a bike ride because you don't have control, direct control over what's happening in India. What you do is have control over what's happening in your moment. So that's where you go get the fresh air, you play with Dolly, you take a break. And then in the pause, Candice and all your listeners, this is where we start to look at what are we saying to ourselves? What is our self-talk when we're seeing something in the news? So whether it be about what's happening in India, whether it be that your neighbor is having to move out of their house because they can't afford the mortgage, that a best friend of yours lost a job. So what are you saying to yourself? Most likely you are, don't have the resources to help them. And what ends up happening is, is something called secondary trauma. So you're walking around with your own issues. Well,
1: for me, it's, it's, it's just uh, stepping back and being in the moment. That's, that's all I can do is I just need to be in the moment. So whether it's grabbing a book or stepping outside or removing myself from the situation, that tends to help. And so, uh, but I just find that it's, it feels harder. And I'm sure most people will agree yeah. listening to this. It feels harder to do right now because a lot of our fallbacks are not available to us.
6: And you bring up an excellent point. So when we talk about COVID fatigue, we're talking about COVID fatigue. We're talking about COVID anger. We're talking about COVID depletion. We're talking about all of these these areas of our life that we, like you said, we, we don't have the same places to go and fill ourselves up again. So even part of that repair is that knowing that I will assume, Candice, every single time I go on social media, every single time that I open a news article, that it's going to hit me in a really hard place, mental health wise, emotional health wise, because we care and we feel completely helpless.
1: I want people to be able to connect with you, Andrea, uh, because I, I absolutely love following along with you. So where can people find you?
6: So they can find me on Instagram at Dr. Andrea DiNardo, and I know you'll put it, you'll put it up there. And also on my website at Dr. Andrea Donardo. And I'm honored to be here today.
1: Oh, thank you, Andrea. We'll have you back again soon. Always love having you on.
6: Thanks, Candace. Just breathe.
3: I can feel the magic flow. More with Candace Sampson and What She Said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region.
0: What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being confident? Uh-huh. What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being confident?
1: In a new RBC report, almost half a million women who lost their jobs due to this pandemic hadn't returned to work as of January. That's a lot of women looking for employment at the same time. And if you're sleeping on LinkedIn, then you're missing out on huge opportunities, says my next guest. BBG Hiley is the founder of the Beauvoir Group, a career management and personal branding consultancy firm. She works with women in middle and senior management roles, helping them make bold moves in their lives and careers as they discover the possibilities that come with finding and owning their unique voice. Welcome back to the show, BBG. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Let's talk about LinkedIn then, because, um, you know, I have to admit, I think that perhaps I'm even sleeping on it a little bit.
4: You know, I interviewed last week a friend of mine who's the owner of a recruitment firm, and this is what she said. Literally, I'm quoting I'm her. She said, a lot of people focus on their CV and a lot more than they do on LinkedIn, but she says, while you're sleeping at one in the morning, I'm out there headhunting. And if your LinkedIn is not up there, you are getting looked over. There are a lot of people who do not put an accent or who do not put an effort in their LinkedIn profile. And this is not because um, they don't think it's important. It's because LinkedIn has this way of triggering us, of feeling fearful. It's this professional stuffy space where we have to come show up in a certain way with a certain amount of credentials, where we have to talk in the third person, have a professional picture. It's such a far away distant space that we feel like we can't show up as ourselves. um, That a lot of women that I know are not getting on LinkedIn and making it work for them. It's not about getting on it. There are a lot of profiles. It's about making it work for you.
1: If you go on LinkedIn and you 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 know, you download all your or uh, sorry, upload all your credentials, everything you've done, your work history, is that enough? Or do you have to continually participate on LinkedIn to get noticed or to um, find the right people to be talking to? It's, It's not enough to just leave your resume there, right?
4: 100%. In fact, you don't want your resume to be there because the truth is you are going to be sending your resume to a recruiter. That's not what LinkedIn is about. Let me describe a profile to you and tell me what this makes you feel. BBG Haile is a known consultant within the field of strategy consulting. She has a demonstrated history of showing up for her clients over and over again and delivering above and beyond value. Are you excited about my profile? Are you interested?
1: Yeah, it doesn't really tell me a whole lot about you. It seems a little flat. Uh, right? Right.
4: It's It's buzzwords. You could replace my name, put another name, and it's exactly the same thing. So you don't actually get to know me and who I am and what I stand for and what is important for me and how I'm different from any other consultants out there. So that's the first thing you want to do. And and granted, it is scary because people will say, but I I don't know, where do I start, right? So that's one piece. But the second piece is to make it work for you, you have to be top of mind to the people who who are browsing with you on LinkedIn around a particular subject that you're good at. So maybe it's data governance. Maybe it's, um, you know, change management. Maybe it's communication. But you want to share things on that uh, platform that will hold people's attentions. Um, So it is important to engage because it gives like a, a sort of light into who you are.
1: LinkedIn then is the place to sort of show off a little bit Uh, flex your muscles, show your expertise. Is that really what it's about? I love that you
4: use show off and I really like how you use it. But with this this discomfort, yes, show off because you're not going to show off about everything. You're not amazing at everything, but there is that one thing that you are rocking the world, even if you don't think you are. So you do want to show off because if you're not, you know, saying that, who is saying it for you?
1: Who's telling your story? you and I had done an interview about imposter
4: syndrome.
1: And I I feel like this is something that a lot of women grapple, really struggle with this. Is this showing off? Is this uh, declaring themselves an expert at something?
4: Any tips
1: for getting over that? So
4: one of the main tips is not to feel like you need to be an expert at everything. Once you own that one thing, but you can also be comfortable being having humility, and I have air quotes around humility around other things. You can say, no, you know what? I'm really not good at this. Then you sort of have the permission to say, but let me tell you how good I am at this particular thing. So that's like a quick sort of get myself off the imposter syndrome Um imposter syndrome
1: wheel. I really want people to be able to connect with you, BBG. We haven't had enough time in six minutes. This is just a such a deep topic. So I want to send people to you to uh, get more information. Where's the best place to connect with you?
4: Yes, on LinkedIn. I'm there all the time. <laughs> Seriously, people are like, do you even have a job? So it's BBG Haile, H-A-I-L-E um, on LinkedIn and they'll, they can reach out in private messages or just
1: add me as a connection. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region.
3: Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059 The Region.com.
7: Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars.
3: Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at TheAllyMars.com.
1: Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate.
5: Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.